Hey, good morning, y'all. I was going to ask how you felt about the drums, but I already know. Um, I'm a little disappointed that when we said, hey, we're debt-free, you're like, yay, we have drums. Woo! Wow. So like, like multiple times this morning, my watch is telling me, loud environment, loud environment. I'm like, shut up, shut up, stop. So kids, welcome to the room. It's Family Sunday. Uh, I love, I I secretly love the, not secretly because I'm telling you, Um, I love the chaos that Family Sunday brings. Uh, I do want to say thanks to our deacons and folks who are like, there's all kinds of chaotic action going on, standing room only, chairs coming out. I love it. Uh, It's a little chaotic this morning, but hey, uh, life with kids is chaotic and we love it. We love it. Uh, Kids, so so I want to hear from all the kids in the room in just a moment. I'm going to count down three, two, one. All the kids in the room, I want to hear you say Jesus at the top of your lungs, all right? I want to test you out, see if you can do this with me, all right? Three, two, one, Jesus, all right? Loud. You are ready to go. I love it. Three, two, one. That was pretty awesome. That was pretty awesome. That beats drums. Woo! You know, every time. I love it. I'm so thankful y'all are here this morning. Uh, We are... Uh, in this year of mission, we're gonna, I'm going to try to abbreviate this. Um, uh, man, we've had a, it's it's a good morning already. I don't know how this is going to work. I'm going to try to abbreviate this because uh, otherwise we're going to have a mutiny on our hands in a few minutes. So I'm going to try to work through this year of mission. We want to continue growing deeper in the gospel, but go wide with the gospel. We want people to hear the good news of Jesus. And we're in this series. We're actually wrapping it up this morning called Leadership in the Church. We've said it uh, the last few weeks that when leadership gets better and healthier, everything gets better and healthier. And so as a church, we're trying to get healthier from the top down. All right. So I've kind of, I want to start out with a diagram. I've, I'm trying to put this into a picture form of, of the structure of leadership in the church. It starts at the very top with the chief shepherd. We talked about a few weeks ago. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Everything under Jesus is, is all of us. It's the flock, the flock of God, which we'll be talking about this morning. Uh, but then this first layer or level of human leadership that God gives to the church is what we call elders or pastors who feed and lead the church. And then we have deacons we talked about last week who serve the church. Uh, I'm going to add in another layer here that's not necessarily in the scriptures specifically, but it's important for us to say because literally every church incorporates this to some degree. We call, we call ministry staff and team leaders. So these are uh, paid staff members who help lead our church. These are uh, volunteer team leaders that lead areas of ministry. Uh, and really deacons and ministry staff and, and team leaders kind of fit in the same category to agree because both are serving the church, serving the body, assisting elders. Exodus 18 is a great principle. It's what I call the Jethro principle where Moses is trying to lead the nation of Israel. Uh, His father-in-law Jethro comes along and says, Moses, what you're doing is not good. This is too much. You need help. Uh, You're going to wear yourself out. So he says, I want you to appoint leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. So there's this, this, this concept of appointing leadership to help carry out the mission. And so we have ministry staff and team leaders. I'll come back to that in a second. And then all of us is in this, this broadest category is we're the flock. We are partners. We're attenders of Friendship Baptist Church. And so this is kind of just a little bit of a picture. I do want to touch on ministry staff because uh, some of you are like, I don't even know who's on staff here, who serves the church uh, in a staff capacity. So let me start with myself because you all hear me running my mouth every single week. Uh, So I serve as the lead pastor. I'm currently the only elder pastor at this church. And so our goal is to move to a plurality of elders, which we've been talking about. 
Then we have Tiffany Smith, who is our kids' ministry director. Y'all know Tiffany. She's been here for years, kind of grew up uh, in her teenage years here, and has for the last several years served as our kids' ministry director. Um, And then we have another staff member that I want to introduce you to today. You already know him, most of you, but John Davis, uh, what I call him is our director of operations. And so I like the, the... the initials D-O, because he just does stuff. His job is to do, to make things work. He is not a, a part of our paid staff, but he, he volunteers his time to, to lead. His job description is make it work. And so he helps us on staff in a big way. So John, and then our fourth one, you already saw him this morning, but Andrew Poston, our worship leader. And I am happy to announce to you today that he is here, he's back, and he's here to stay. So Andrew is our... He's been our part-time worship leader for the last two years. Um, he had a season here on Broadway, and he never really left. All right, He's been with us all along, but he is uh, coming on staff as a full-time uh, staff member uh, as our worship leader. So excited uh, about that. Excited for this team that God has assembled here to serve uh, this church. And so that is our ministry staff. Just wanted to put that out there for y'all. Uh, I do want to start with Titus 1.5, just a verse that we saw a couple weeks ago, and I just kind of want to start with this briefly as we kind of conclude this, this series. Paul said to Titus, this young spiritual leader, elder, he said, This is why I left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So he says, Titus, I left you in this, this area, Crete, so that you would put what remained in order. So you put things in order. Other translations say set in order. And Warren Wearsby says it this way, this phrase, put in order, or set in order, is a medical term. It was applied to the setting of a crooked limb. So there's this idea that maybe you've broken a bone and it needs to be set. And this is the same thing in the churches. It says that you know, there, there were crooked things that need to be set straight, that brought into alignment. There needed to be order And it started with appointing leadership or elders in the church. And so that's why we've been talking about this, this thing of leadership in the church for this series, because the church needs order, the church needs leadership, uh, especially if we want to accomplish all that God has called us to do. And so what we're talking about is so important. Uh, This morning, we're talking about the flock who follows. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And I just want to say as we start, like this is for all of us. What we're talking about today, it applies to every single one of us, that everyone who names the name of Christ is part of the flock of God. That includes me. I am an under-shepherd, but I am also one of the sheep, all right? I'm part of this church, and so this applies to all of us. Now, what we're going to talk about this morning for the next few minutes uh, isn't the easiest topic to talk about. We're talking about spiritual authority. We're talking about authority and submission, which uh, is not always easy to talk about. Some of you, I'm just going to be quite honest, some of you are going to be uncomfortable with some of the things we talk about this morning. Not just because your kids are, you know, you're next to you and you feel like you have to control them, like be under authority, all right, listen to me, obey me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Some of you aren't going to like this subject matter because uh, authority uh, and submission is, is, is a difficult topic. Some of you don't like it or will have a natural resistance to it because you've had bad experience. You've had a bad experience in the church. You've had a bad experience under over 
overpowering or domineering leadership or authority. Um, so some of you won't like it due to experience. Some of you aren't going to love the subject because of the culture's influence. So our culture teaches us that, hey, I have no authority but myself. I don't need to submit to anybody. I don't need to obey anybody. I have my own truth, and I want to be true to that and true to myself. And so some of us, quite honestly, we don't like this, the topic of, of authority and submission because our culture trains us otherwise. Uh, some of you um, may question motives. I, so I, this is awkward for me. It's, there's a tension because it's weird to be a leader talking about, hey, submit to leadership. That puts me in a weird uh, position to do that. And, and yeah, I want to be true to the word of God because I, what I believe is every time you look at the word of God, there's an opportunity to be uncomfortable. There's an opportunity to, to sometimes squirm. But I would submit to you, I think that's probably the best place for us to be. Because when we get uncomfortable, when we get out of our comfort zone, is when we grow the most, when we change the most. And so I'm not going to apologize this morning for what we're talking about. I'm going to preach the gospel, be true to the word of God. My job's not to let us be or stay comfortable. My job is to confront us with the truth of the word of God and... When necessary, as necessary, we bring ourselves into alignment with the scripture. So let's jump right in. I want to ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read the first seven verses. Uh, I just want to quickly talk about three things that the flock of God needs. So 1 Peter 5, this is a passage we saw a couple weeks ago, but we saw it from the perspective of elders and leadership, but I want us to see it from the perspective of the flock of God. 1 Peter 5 verses 1 through 7. Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he's speaking to elders or pastors in the church. He says, verse 2, Elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble your, yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares or your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So Peter's speaking to the elders, directing them how to deal with the flock, but there's, there's some things that we need to see about what we as the flock of God need. So three things. Number one is this. The flock needs leaders to follow. The flock needs leaders to follow. You see the instruction to elders. Hey, elders, shepherd the flock. Give oversight to the flock. So there's, there's, this, there's this need, and we talked about it two weeks ago. God's people need to be fed and led. God's people need to be fed and led. Throughout the scriptures, we see God referred to, or the Lord, or, and Jesus himself referred to as a shepherd, and we are his what? We're a sheep. We're his flock. We are his people. So what would happen if, if, a, if, if a herd, I don't know if sheep are called a herd. Is that correct? I don't know. Somebody can, yes. All right. Thank you. I'm going to assume that's correct. So a herd of sheep. 
Um, thank you for your participation. I love it. Uh, so what if a herd of sheep had no shepherd? What do you think would happen to them? Yes, everything, all of that. Lost. They would probably starve. They would probably die. They would find themselves in a ditch. All kinds of chaos. They need to be fed and they need to be led. In fact, Jesus himself said when he looked at the crowds, Matthew 9, 36, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they were weary. They were confused. They were distressed. They were lost. They needed leadership And so God, looking at us as his sheep, he provides spiritual leaders not to lord over you, but to lovingly lead you. Because we all need leaders. We all need leaders to follow. Do you all remember? uh, I know this term, so this term actually came uh, about in 1945, but I remember hearing it a lot in the year 2020. The term sheeple. Are you familiar with that? Sheep plus people, sheeple. So the idea, and it was really actually um, coined in 1945, and it was referring to people who just mindlessly follow the government. Okay, and so in 2020, with all of the stuff with the pandemic and political season, uh, this term kind of had a little renaissance. Okay, it's the first time I remember really hearing this term sheeple, just mindlessly following. Uh, And so, you know, I'm looking that term up, and, you know, uh, Collins Dictionary defines it this way, sheep. Um, are a, is a person who is meek, stupid, timid, submissive. That's not real flattering, is it, when it talks about sheep? Cambridge Dictionary says, if a group of people are like sheep, they all behave in the same way or all behave as they are told and cannot or will not act independently. They're obedient and compliant. So there was this, such a negative buzz about like, oh, you're just sheep. Well, you're just doing whatever the government tells you, whatever... The, the, the multitudes and the masses tell you. Let, let me define it this way, because I, 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 in a sense, took some offense to that term. Because the world uses it in a negative sense, but the Bible doesn't refer to sheep in a negative sense. So the world defines sheep as those who mindlessly follow the masses. The word defines sheep as those who mindfully follow their master. Those who are mindful that, hey, I am I'm in, in need. I am in need of guidance and leadership. Without the Lord, I would be lost. Without the Lord, I would be wandering and stumbling and trying to discover purpose and meaning and find fulfillment in my life. I need leadership. I need spiritual leadership in my life. Uh, I'm not going to read from it this morning. Uh, I did in the first service, but there's a link on our uh, sermon notes to a book uh, that I think is incredible. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Uh, It's written by a man named Philip Keller, who was literally a shepherd of sheep, not a pastor, but just a shepherd. And he writes this this short little book um, going through every phrase of Psalm 23, which starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he just gives all kinds of practical uh, like information on like what this actually means that we are sheep and he is our shepherd. It's an incredible little book. I think it's seven bucks on Amazon if you want to check that out. Um, but the whole point of, of this was that we need leadership. We need leadership. Sheep need leadership we need leadership in our lives. We need good shepherd, a good shepherd, the good shepherd, but we also need good shepherds, lowercase s, under shepherds. We need spiritual leaders in our lives 
to follow. And here, here's a second thing that, that I want to bring up is that the flock needs examples to imitate. The flock needs examples to imitate. Back in verse number three, he said, elders don't domineer over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. You know, one of the primary ways that a leader leads is by what? Example, right? How many of you would say that you learn best by observation, by watching? Anybody? So I'm thankful for YouTube for that reason, all right? Um, I was just in Home Depot the other day, and I have this old Home Depot, like, um, book about, you know, maintaining things in your home, and, like, who needs a book anymore? You got YouTube, right? I can actually watch something. It's one thing to, like, read how to do something, but when I can, like, put my eyes on it, you can literally YouTube how to do anything in the world, and someone has done a video on it, right? I, I, when I look at my life, uh, I feel like most things that I do well or have done even or that I even do halfway well, it's because I learn by watching someone. I watch someone do it. I even think of, of preaching when it comes to preaching. I went to, to Bible college for four years. I learned in a class how to preach. But if you asked me, like, how did you learn how to preach? I wouldn't point to those classes I sat in on. I would point back to Pastor Mark, a man in my life for that for three years, I sat under his preaching and I listened to him and I watched his life and I listened to him communicate and I, and I learned. And so uh, every single Sunday, what I bring into this room is because of the influence of a man who I watched. I watched his life. I watched his teaching. I learned best by observation. And parents, guess what? You know this. Our kids, will, they will follow us and imitate us in all kinds of ways that we want and all kinds of ways that we don't want, right? That's good and bad. But the reality is this, the life of leaders will be imitated for good or for ill. The life of leaders will be imitated. And that's why the scriptures in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1 are so specific about elders and deacons, leaders in the church, that, that those qualifications are all about character because character matters most because people are going to follow your example. And we need godly examples to follow. If, you're, uh, if, if you become a follower of Christ, you need the example of godly followers of Christ to help you to know how to live. If you are getting married, you want to know how to be a godly husband or wife, you want to find a godly example to follow. You're going to become a, a, a parent, a, a mom or a dad, you want to look at godly moms and dads. We all need examples to imitate. That's the beauty of the church is that hopefully we can look around and see other godly examples that we can imitate their faith. And I want to take you to 1 Timothy 4, verses 12 through 16. Uh, this is an incredible passage. Um, this is one that youth pastors, myself included, in previous years, like, abused to death when it comes to teenagers because of the context. 1 Timothy 4, Paul, speaking to young pastor Timothy, he says, Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set the believers an example in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He's speaking to Timothy saying, Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you just because you're a young leader. Man, you actually get to set an example for what 
followers of Jesus look like, what their life should look like. Uh, what's actually really cool about this passage is we assume, because we, you know, we use this a lot when you're, for, for kids and teenagers, hey, you're young, don't let anybody like, despise your youth. But Timothy at this point was not like a child. He wasn't like a teenager. He was probably in his 20s, maybe even in his 30s. He was a young elder or pastor, and Paul was saying, hey, you, you get to be an example uh, for the younger believers. What was actually cool back in the day was, was 30 was kind of the peak of youth. You could still be described apparently as a youth up until age 40. So most of us in this room would be like, amen. All right. I'm still young. Uh, yes. But hey, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set the believers an example. Verse 13, until I come Paul says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Don't neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. I would argue that gift is the gift of leadership. Don't neglect that gift that's been affirmed by the laying of hands on you from elders. Verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So he says, Timothy, you get to set an example for what it looks like to follow Jesus. And oh, oh Timothy, uh, make sure that your progress is visible to everyone. You, you know, one of my hopes is as a, an elder, as a pastor of this church, is that as you watch my life, over the course of years, it will be visible that I'm still growing as a, as a follower of Jesus and as a leader. My hope is that you can look at my life and it's, it's, it's visible. And that's what he says to Timothy. And he says, also, keep a close watch. Pay close attention to not just the teaching, but pay attention to your life. Why? Because everybody's watching. Everybody's looking at your life. So be an example worth following. And so the flock needs leaders to follow. The flock needs examples to imitate. The third and final thing this morning, the flock needs humility to submit. The flock needs humility to submit. So the other things we can go, amen, amen, I need, a, I need a leaders, I need examples. But then we say submit and we all go, yeah. Submit, that is, that is a hard, hard word. Here, here's what he says, verse four. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, which may refer to age, it may refer to younger in the faith. He says, you who are younger, he, he's talking to the whole church now, not just the elders. He says, be subject to the elders. That word, be subject, that phrase, in other places or other translations, it's translated as submit or accept the authority of. Submit is a hard word. Submit means to yield to uh, the power or the authority of another, which again goes against our natural tendency, right, to submit to someone else. Uh, some things that make submission tough in our life. Whoever the authority is, whatever the authority is. Uh, submission, it's not always about who is right and, and, and who is wrong. Oftentimes, submission is about rank, 
right? Because uh, I'm under the authority of somebody else. I have to submit. And so sometimes we have to swallow things because it's, 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 it's more about rank, not who's right or wrong. Here's what really makes it difficult biblically when it comes to submission. Biblically, submission is not just an outward activity. It's actually an inward posture of the heart. Y'all know you've done this before where you've submitted or obeyed someone, whether it's a parent or a, an authority uh, in the workplace or a school or a coach. You've obeyed. You've submitted. And you're like, in a sense, you're like, yes, sir. But you're like, but in my heart, I am kicking and screaming all the way, right? Don't act holier than thou. Y'all have done that. I know it. I'm obeying, but I'm obeying because I don't want to get fired. I'm obeying because I don't want to be let go, right? I'm obeying because of the consequences. Biblically, it's not just obey outwardly. Biblical submission is I'm humbling myself in my heart. The posture of my heart is I'm yielding to the power or the authority of another. That's what makes this hard, right? That's what makes us so difficult. So what is the key to submission? I already kind of mentioned it. He mentions it here. The key to submission is humility. Humility. This is the key. And what Peter says here is he says, be subject to the elders. But he quickly follows that up with this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. In other words, every single person in the body of Christ is called to humility, one to another. That word humility literally means to be lowly-minded. Okay, so when I think of humility, uh, I think of the word humiliation. All right, think of some time that you've been humiliated. You've been embarrassed. Uh, to, to be humiliated means to have a loss of, of pride, to be brought low. It's like you feel like an inch tall, right? You've been embarrassed. You're ashamed or, or whatever it is. Humiliated. It's that same idea, but humility is a voluntary bringing yourself low. And what Peter says here is, is, is he says, listen, Either you bring yourself low or you will be brought low. Either bring yourself low voluntarily or you will be humbled. Humble yourself or you will be humbled. The way he says it, he quotes Proverbs 3, uh, I think it's verse 34 in Proverbs. He quotes it, he says, or references it. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says, if authority comes in your life and you resist, you stiffen your neck and there's pride, he says, guess what's going to happen? Whether that authority is right or wrong, you resist, God opposes but if you will humble yourself, regardless if right or wrong, whether I agree or not, listen, every single time, don't miss this, every single time you will humble yourself, you will receive what? Grace. He gives grace. 
Whenever you will humble yourself, here's the promise. Every single time that you and I humble ourselves, whether we're right or wrong, God says, I will give you grace. Why? Because this is the way of Jesus, is humility. And he gave us the ultimate example to imitate when he laid down his life, having done nothing wrong, he submitted himself. He was obedient, Philippians 2 says, even to the point of death. Because he humbled himself. The flock needs humility to submit. He says, clothe yourselves. It has the kind of the picture of, if you remember John 13, when Jesus, he, he clothed himself in a servant towel to wash the feet of the disciples. It's literally put on humility. It's something you wake up and you don't have it on. You have to put it on. You have to clothe yourself with humility. John MacArthur says, says this about submission. He says, submission is a fundamental attitude of spiritual maturity. Submission is a fundamental attitude of spiritual maturity. In other words, here's what's, what's true. If you have spiritual maturity, if you're growing in spiritual maturity, you will grow in your humility. You will grow in your ability to submit to others. And so you know how, I, how an easy marker, if someone has, is, is, is lower on the spiritual maturity spectrum or further along, can they, can they humble themselves to submit to someone else? That's how you see. That's, that's a marker of spiritual maturity. We're all called to submit to spiritual leaders, but we need humility. You, you'll never submit without humbling yourself. Now, I want to read, read a couple verses here from Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, 7. This really applies more to the last point. But the writer says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And imitate their, 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 their faith. Imitate their faith. So watch their life, their way of life, how they live. Consider it, weigh it, watch it, and then imitate their faith. But then if you drop down 10 verses to verse 17, and, and here's, this is pretty tough, but very clear, direct language. He says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders. And listen, I don't, I don't have any ulterior motives here. I'm not like, we all need to obey me more. I'm not, I don't have that in my mind. But the, the significance of this phrase, obey your leaders and submit to them. That word obey, and I never had known this or discovered this until this week. That word obey could literally be translated as trust or have confidence in your leaders. Obey your leaders. Trust your leaders. Submit to your leaders. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. Be unified. Be in submission following the lead of your leaders. Esteem them very highly in love. Titus 3, 1 and 2. Paul says to Titus here again, he says, remind them, remind the flock to be what? Submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. We see this throughout the scriptures that there's a responsibility uh, 
to every one of us and the followers of Christ in particular to model humility and submission to the leadership that God places in our life. So I want to read a quote to you from a book that, uh, that I love. It's my favorite book on parenting. Uh, it's called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Uh, I remember buying this book when my firstborn son, uh, Isaiah, was still in the womb. And I was like, Lord, I don't know how to be a parent, how this dad thing is going to work. Uh, so I bought this book upon a recommendation. And, and now I try to give this book to every uh, new parent that I can get it into the hands of uh, shepherding a child's heart. Um, and it really speaks to this idea that our, our job as parents is to shepherd the heart, not to come down on just the activity or um, the behavior of kids were to shepherd their heart because all the behavior flows out of the heart. And so I want to read you this, uh, this quote because th this one thing has been the biggest takeaway for me from this book, the biggest thing I learned. And whether you're a parent or not, there's so much that we can glean from this. So Ted Tripp in this book, speaking of the, the, the period of life for a child from infancy to childhood, he said the most important lesson for the child to learn in this period is that he is an individual under authority. He is an individual under authority. He has been made by God and has a responsibility to obey God in all things. Your children will never submit to you without understanding this truth. They will never see living in terms of bringing glory to God. They will be self-absorbed, the prime objects of worship in their own world. Check out this next phrase. Submission to earthly authority is a specific application of being a creature under God's authority. Submission to God's authority may seem distant and theoretical, Mom and dad, however, are present. Obedience to God is reflected in a child's growing understanding of obedience to parents. He goes on to kind of counsel this way. Acquaint your children with authority and submission when they are infants. These lessons, firmly established in early years, will yield fruit throughout childhood. And I would say throughout life. That the, the foundational the first and most important lesson that any of us can learn is that we are creatures under authority. And when we get that, so as, as parents, when our kids get that they're authority under God, they will, they will submit to and obey mom and dad. They will obey and submit to other authorities in their life because it's all a picture of the ultimate authority the one from whom all authority comes, the chief shepherd. And so following God includes following God's authority in your life. You can't say, well, I am following God, I'm pursuing God, I'm obeying God, I'm submitting to God, and yet not be following and obeying and submitting to the leaders that he has in your life. Those don't work hand in hand. He is the ultimate authority and he gives authority in our lives for our good and for his glory. And so following God's authority, following God always includes following his authority in our life. We can't ignore his commands on this. So the flock, we as the flock, all of us, we need leaders to follow we need examples to imitate, and we need humility to submit. Uh, 
But I want to say something that I know you already know, is that every leader you follow will be flawed, right? If you've had a parent, you've had a flawed leader in your life, right? Every leader will be flawed. Every example you imitate will be imperfect. Every single leader and authority that you have or ever will have will get it wrong, will blow it, will fail you and let you down, guaranteed, right? If you're a parent, you know that. If you're a leader, you know that. You've blown it, you failed. God doesn't call us, however, to fix our broken leaders. He calls us to follow them. He calls us to follow them. Praise the Lord, there is one perfect, flawless leader. There is only one perfect leader. Y'all know who that is? Who is it? Jesus. And the kids, the kids speak. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one and only perfect leader. He is the chief shepherd whom we follow. He calls us to follow him. He calls us to imitate his example. He is the one who gives us the humility that we need to submit to his earthly authority in our life. He is the one that we follow. We should and we must. And if you haven't, if you've, if you've never put your faith in Christ, if you've never submitted yourself to his lordship, if you have never submitted your heart and your will to his authority in your life, can I give you some good news? He invites you to do that today. He wants to be your good shepherd. And so, Lord, thank you so much that you are our chief shepherd. You are a good shepherd, that your heart is for us, that you have made a way for us to know you and follow you. God, you are the one who provides for us through your Holy Spirit at work in us, the humility that we need in order to submit and follow and obey the authorities you've put in our life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continually humble us, that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would receive your loving leadership in, in our lives. Lord, for someone that might be in here today that's never submitted themselves to your lordship in their life, God, I pray that today might be that day when you would draw them to yourself. Lord, for every person in this room that is, is, is a leader in some way, shape, or form, in their home, in their workplace, in this church even, God, I pray that we would humble ourselves. We would clothe ourselves with, with humility, one to another, that we'd be unified in submission to you, our good shepherd. And so, Lord, I just want to say thank you for what you're doing in our church. I thank you for what you're doing in my heart. I thank you for what you're doing in many, many hearts in this room, in this place. God, would you continue the good work that you've started? Would you bring it to completion as you've promised you would do? Would you build your church? God, help this to be a healthy place. God, would you help my leadership to be healthy? Would you help the leadership of every leader in this, this church and this body to be healthy? Lord, help every single one of us as your flock to follow you. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.